Well, hey there, how are you doing today? Welcome back to my YouTube channel. Uh, I wanted to make this short video about a discussion on Twitter a few days ago. It was about this uh, very um, well-written, well-thought-out article by Fiona Hill, a former uh, advisor to President Trump, foreign policy advisor. And she wrote this article in Politico kind of explaining Vladimir Putin's mindset and the, you know, the fact that there are some people in Russia because of their isolation, they still have this uh, kind of idea in their minds of restoring the, the Russian Empire, you know, the pre-Soviet Russian Empire of the czars going back over a hundred years. And I'm sure you find those sorts of people in every country who want to go back to some sort of illusory past where, you know, everything in their minds, you know, they had this kind of glory of being part of an empire. I'm sure there are, there are people like that in Britain uh, or in China or other places where you have a kind of, a, you know, these long-term histories. And Vladimir Putin seems to be one of these people that kind of has that mindset. And in this article, you know, she warns us that if we don't understand that mindset, that people like Putin will continue to kind of... Uh, attempt to change boundaries and just say, you know, boundaries are flexible. They can change every century or so. What, you know, what prevents us from changing our national boundaries? So the one thing that I think is, is missing from these foreign policy discussions is the uh, ET question. Um, this is something that we're seeing increasingly, you know, more information about over the past couple of years. And it is relevant in this context because the United States and Russia do have something really in common here, which is that unidentified flying objects, call them what you will, UAPs, AAVs, have been uh, tampering and messing around with nuclear weapon systems for quite a while. And it was in the Ukraine in a town that used to be called Bielokorovich, which uh, now has a, a new name. I actually had to look it up to find where this missile base uh, was stationed. But in October 4th, 1982, uh, there was an incident at this missile base, which is at a time when the Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, where we're told from the witnesses that a five-story huge UFO, perhaps up to uh, thousands of feet wide, hovered over this missile installation for several hours, even putting the missile launch systems into an active mode where it appeared that the missiles were going to launch on their own for about 15 seconds. Now, this is something that I heard of uh kind of directly from a witness we had on this channel, Dr. Richard Hoover. You'll remember him. He was the NASA astrobiologist that quit uh, when NASA told him to stop going to conferences and talking about carbonaceous organic material uh, fossils that he was finding in meteorites that were uh, landing on Earth. And this was so controversial for NASA even to admit there could be uh, fossils of microscopic life forms, diatoms and others, as Richard Hoover told us, that they uh, pressured him to stop talking about it and he quit. Someone who was very experienced, you know, had many uh, 
hundreds of uh, peer-reviewed papers and patents and so forth in extraterrestrial evidence of life from outside our own solar system. So it's very interesting. Well, it turned out that Richard Hoover met with a very famous Russian scientist, Kamakov, who uh, came over to the U.S. and uh, NASA asked Richard to actually take him around and talk with him. And uh, during their stay, Richard told us that Kamakov started talking about this 1982 Ukrainian Soviet missile incident where, and, and Kamakov was the head of the Kurchatov Institute, the Kurchatov Institute being the institute in the Soviet Union for all things nuclear, the way things were organized in the Soviet Union, you know, missiles and anything radioactive, nuclear power plants were organized under the same organization because it was all dealing with, you know, fizzle, fissile radioactive materials. And so Kurchatov knew about this missile incident because the Kurchatov Institute had uh, a lot to do with Soviet nuclear missiles. So Richard told me about this incident when I spent some time with him uh, at the uh, Open Minds UFO conference a number of years ago outside of Scottsdale. And uh, this is something that's just been occurring to me because not only did it affect the Soviet Union, and by the way, he said that they had, Komakov told him they had ripped every wire out between this missile installation and uh, Moscow, and they couldn't find anything wrong with it. But this happened in the United States, too. We're well aware of these incidents. We heard about this at the citizen hearing. Uh, these missileers had their own press conference, I think, around 2010 at the National Press Club in D.C. And we've heard about this again recently with the congressional in, you know, investigation into UFOs and so forth, UAPs, as they're called now. Uh, but this is something that happened frequently to the whole northern tier, uh, the the SAC bases uh, in uh, South Dakota, Maelstrom in um, Montana, Loring in Maine, and Wurtsmith in Michigan had these incursions, which you know the Air Force said were like enemy helicopters. They never could explain them, but we've heard enough testimony about this to know that it happened. Um, in one case, we were told from David Shore that the same sort of thing happened at Minot Air Force Base in the late 60s, that uh, a UFO came over and swept over all of the missile silos. He said all of them, all the way around Minot Air Force Base, the, you know, the missile launch control facilities are scattered around these bases. This is kind of how it, it, they were arranged. And this particular incident, the launch code, uh, the launch sequences were initiated uh, just temporarily again. The, the missiles went into active mode and they had to be overridden. Uh, and obviously we've heard of many cases where the the missiles were taken offline, like occurred at Maelstrom, which was uh, talked about by Robert Salas and others where, you know, like 10 missiles would go offline at the same time. Uh, David Shindeli talked about this happening also at Minot Air Force Base in the late 60s. Uh, again, these people were always told, these service men were told uh, it never happened. And David Schur was told the same thing. David Shindeli wrote an entire book called It Never Happened because that's what he was told. Don't talk about it. Now, if you'll remember, we actually had one of these missile security guards 
who had contact with one of these UFOs. It was uh, Gary, uh, who had served in Minot Air Force Base in the early 1970s. And he came on this channel a couple times and gave us testimony that he had encountered with his colleague in their uh, security alert team that he had encountered had been ordered out to go to one of these missile silos near Velvet, North Dakota, and they encountered a blinding huge object that took off vertically as soon as they got close to the missile silo. And he said that jets were scrambled to chase it. And uh, he was burned on the right side of his body. The whole truck was burned on the side of facing this radiation from this unknown object. Still to this day, he has uh, health uh, problems related to this exposure. The VA basically said he couldn't prove that it came from the UFO and they refused to treat it. But it was strange, you know, medical artifacts on the right side of his body, growths and so forth that are really quite strange. And uh, they told him not to talk to his colleague from the, the... the truck, the Jeep that night that they were out in. The other guy was reassigned somewhere else. He never saw him again. And just like uh, David Shindeli and others, he was told, don't talk about it. It never happened. They uh, attempted to hypnotize him um, uh, to see if he could tell them more details, but he wasn't a good hypnotic subject that day, as he said that he had a cold and it kept interfering with his... uh, ability to kind of go into that trance-like state. Now, curiously enough, I did run into someone who is a trained hypnotist that worked in the government, and he told me that he had been offered the job of hypnotist at Minot Air Force Base in the early 70s, but turned it down for something else. So that is very good confirmation that Gary's story was quite valid, because we had someone else who said they were, you know, would have been that hypnotist that Gary would have seen. But nonetheless, this is someone that we've talked to in the UFO and nukes subject area uh, who tells us it's it's just a very uh, real phenomenon. So this is a part of, you know, a hidden history of both the United States and the Soviet Union at the time, now Russia, uh, same territories, And so I think this is something that our countries, Russia and the United States, have in common. Now, I'm not saying that this would necessarily mean that whoever these visitors are that we call extraterrestrials would, in fact, uh, prevent a nuclear war from happening. Though we have heard information leading us to believe that from time to time. But I'm not saying I know exactly what the ETs would do, and you don't know necessarily either. But it does show that there's a third party here that has an interest in our nuclear weapons. And uh, not just ours, I mean anyone in the world who has them. I'm sure this has affected China and any nuclear country also. I I was told by someone that knew people in the French military it affected their uh, weapon systems also just a couple of years ago. Uh, the same sort of thing, you know, these UAP drone-like objects coming over and messing around with their uh, electronics uh, for, for their Navy and missile installations on land and so forth. Uh, I was told that happened, you know, in France. So 
Um, so this is sort of a worldwide phenomenon. Does this give us a point of discussion to talk with countries, even countries that we're having conflict with? I think it does. I think it's a something that we do have in common. And back in the late 80s, I was at a research institute that was set up just south of Vienna by, it was set up by Nixon and Brezhnev to try to find out, it was called the ESA, Institute for Applied Systems Analysis. I got to work with uh, a whole bunch of uh, Soviet Russian scientists at the time. Uh, who were quite a brilliant bunch. I was interested in chaos theory and fractal geometry at the time. And they had a, a lot of good ideas to help me with the sort of work I was doing with that type of research. Um, so at this institute, this was set up to try to find something that the Soviet Union and the U.S. could agree to work on together. And what was it back in the early 70s? Climate change. Climate change was an issue back then. And um, they thought we can work on the environment together, environmental preservation, climate, common issues that every country in the world would have an interest in uh, researching and working together on whether it was a communist country or a capitalist country. We all had the same interest in preserving the ecosystem health of planet Earth. And so in that context, I think we can find the same sort of commonalities now to avoid all-out conflict and, you know, the devastating consequences of a nuclear war. We can find something in common, which is that there's a third party here. There's other beings around in their craft flying around on Earth. They've been seen here in the U.S., they were seen in the Soviet Union. I'm sure they're still seen in Russia. We've had a lot of people who've talked about what's happened over there. And this is a starting point to have a common dialogue to realize, uh, unlike the analysis that we saw, you know, see with Fiona Hill and other national policy advisors from the past, is that it's not always just a zero-sum game. There are common interests that all countries on Earth have together and it's a starting point for all of us to have an intelligent, constructive dialogue. And if you can have an intelligent, constructive dialogue, it's the beginning of a way to work together and live together on the same planet, even if we have very different viewpoints about historical past, where things should be going, national boundaries, and so forth. That doesn't mean I think we should tolerate blatant aggression or uh, you know, unprovoked hostility towards civilians like we're seeing now in Ukraine. That's not what I'm saying. But it does per say that the discussion needs to be broader than just us versus them, because it isn't just us versus them. There's It's a three-body problem with a third group. Uh, whether they're interdimensionals, extraterrestrials, wherever they're from, they haven't made themselves really known yet. And this will be an issue in the future of the future evolution of the entire political and, you know, cultural systems that exist now on Earth. It will change when we have this dialogue. And I think any of the leaders that we have could bring this into the discussion to really pivot it in a different direction if they wanted to. So that's my thoughts about it. And let me know what you think. Put your comments in the box below. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time and take care for now. And bye.